Kristen, you were a TV fan in the 80s. Who wasn't? Wasn't that all there was back then? That's all there was. There were like all four channels. Friday night, you had Dukes of Hazard, followed by Dallas, followed by Folk and Crest. Saturday night lineup I remembered vividly was Love Boat and Fantasy Island. You're... I was too young for all these shows, and I had nightmares from Well, them. Fantasy Island is the creepiest show so ever. So scary. Creepier than Twilight Zone, creepier than Outer Limits, creepier than You know what you really anything. want? You're going to get it, and then you're going to be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the great thing about junk television in the 80s. Man, you would buy anything. You would buy any stupid idea the networks threw at you. Talking Pontiac? Knight Rider? I'm in. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll right? do it. Yeah. You know, remember Chrissy Snow and her two roommates who one of them named Jack is pretending to be gay because there's a landlord that for some reason in California gives a damn about whether or not a guy has better two to, female roommates? Better to be gay than be shacking up with two females. That was Three's Company. Of course, that was Three's Company. And... You know, The Hulk, I still get kind of creeped out when I think about that show. Don't make me angry, Kristen. I'm not going to make you mad. You wouldn't like I know me. what happens when you get mad. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> but, but So right, right in there, right in the mix, in the junk television pantheon, of course, was The Equalizer, starring Edward Woodward as a former intelligence agent, covert operative guy of some sort who now lent his services to distressed damsels and honest working folk in America, even though he was British. Never really figured that out. Didn't matter. But, you know, as far as junk television goes, that was a great one. And now they've made it into a movie with none other than Denzel Washington. Watch out. Before we know it, T.J. Hooker's coming. (laughs) Hold on. Is that already a movie, T.J. Hooker? I don't know. (laughs) I feel like Simon and Simon's coming behind us not too far. Aaron Aaron Paul as T.J. Hooker (laughs) and... I, God, I don't even I don't know. I don't remember any of these things. And Bella Thorne is Cagney. <laughs> I don't even know. Right. What's next? Anyway, we're going to talk about The Equalizer coming up. Also, Box Trolls, a new children's film, and a new, perhaps Hitchcockian, Patricia Highsmith adaptation called The Two Faces of January. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Before we get into this week's movies, can I just remind folks that they can always visit us at moviedatepodcast.org? You can. And they can also call us. By God, they can call us at 5717movies. And later in this podcast, we're going to feature some people who did call us on that number. That's right. Could be you. Could be. But first, let's talk about Box Trolls, Rafer. The Box Trolls, a new children's movie. Once again, Kristen, you managed to not see... (laughs) The latest children's film. I don't know how that I always happens. I just conveniently always miss the... You know why? Because I had to see Smurfs in the theater and you didn't see it. I'm never going to let you... And you've never forgiven me. I'm never going to forgive you for that. Yeah. And yeah. you saw that you saw the not just Planes, but the Planes sequel. Yeah, and you skipped that too. Yeah, you're mad about that. I don't blame oh, you. God. I don't blame you. Well, all right. I went and saw The Box Trolls. Um, and there are some things to recommend this movie. It's uh, stop motion animation, one of my Oh, so cute. Rankin and Bass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of junk television, exactly. Um, stop motion animation by the Leica studio. They're the guys that did uh, Coraline and Paranorman. This is an adaptation of a British kids' novel called Here Be Monsters, and it stars, uh, got Ben Kingsley in the cast, Elle Fanning in the cast. Uh, It's about a little boy whose name is Eggs, 
I'll explain why later. He's a human boy adopted by little creatures called the box trolls, and they are all living in a little town where the townsfolk hate the box trolls. There's a villain who wants to exterminate them all, and Eggs is going to have to venture above ground and try to convince the humans that box trolls are not evil. Here's a clip. I was promised mountains of bones! I told you we don't eat people. Why do you keep saying we? You're not one of them. You're a boy. No, I'm not. I'm a box troll. Oh, aren't they adorable? Are they're, they adorable or do I just think they're adorable from that not, clip? They're not really what? very adorable. That's the interesting thing about this oh. movie. They're little kind of green-skinned, ugly, crinkly-foreheaded guys with snaggly teeth. They eat Like that movie Gremlins? Uh, yeah, kind of. They eat pill bugs. That's their favorite food. Um, and they the reason they're called box trolls is because they wear cardboard boxes, kind of kind of like the way a hermit crab wears his shell. They wear these boxes. And so whatever the box contained, that becomes your name. So the little boy is named Eggs. And Aww. the dad is named Fish. And their friends are named Shoe and Wheels. Oh, that's so sweet. So they're kind of ugly cute. That's so cute. Yeah. Here's the thing about this movie. Um, it is unmistakably, and I would say perhaps regrettably British, like, let's say, Monty Python. Or, and in particular, I'm thinking of Terry Gilliam's movie, Jabberwocky. I don't know if you ever saw that. I'm already not interested. You're already not interested. You've Here's, already ruined it for me. I just want to say a couple things about this film. Great stop-motion animation. Uh, the problem with this movie is that it is incredibly grotesque and dark, and um, the characters are really unattractive, unappealing to look at. Even uh, Winifred, who is kind of the, I won't say romantic interest because these are kids' kids, but she is the girl in this film, and she um, she just doesn't look very good. She's kind of <laughs> dumpy. She's got this dumpy pear-shaped figure and these stubby legs, this kind of fat face. Hey, I have all those things. You don't have those <laughs> things, Chris. Not, not the way Winifred does, let me tell you. <clears throat> and uh, it's the main villain is a, a character named Archibald Snatcher, and he is the guy who is going around trying to stamp out the box trolls. Uh, he's voiced by, by Ben Kingsley, and he is like a really pathetic, tragic figure, this villain. He's a striver who is hoping that if he, if he stamps out the box trolls, he can basically earn a peerage, a white hat, uh, which is like among the town noblemen, they all wear white hats, and he wants to sit with them and eat fine cheese, but he's, he's hideously allergic to cheese, but he shoves it down his mouth anyway because he's so desperate to be one of the elite in this town. The scenes of him where he becomes allergic to cheese are nauseating. Oh. And... It's very odd to sit through this film, which is kind of imaginative and clever and funny and sort of saucy in its way, and yet so ugly and so hideous to look at that eventually I just felt like, who is this movie appealing to? What what children want to go see these hideous creatures that we're all faced with? Not, not even the little box trolls look that great. And so once again... I've got a bad kids date on my hand. I, I love the animation. I love stop motion. I think Laika does great stuff. There's no way I would take my six-year-old to this movie. Mm. Bad kids date. I'm mm. sorry. Well, again, I'm glad I missed it. And I feel like that's <laughs> you... what I say every single time you review a kids movie that I missed. Well, chalk up another one with the box trolls. Sorry, listeners. Mm. Maybe our next movie will be a better date. It's called The Two Faces of January, and it's based on 
a novel by Patricia Highsmith, and you're a fan of hers, right? She's a big Hitchcock favorite, uh, Strangers on a Train, uh, Purple Noon, um, Talented Mr. Ripley. She's written— Love uh, that Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, that's one of the best movies ever. So good. So good. So this is a short film. It's only about 90 minutes. Oscar Isaac is kind of a—he comes from a well-to-do family, but he's kind of playing a con man who's just coasting around Europe, not quite being a grown-up yet. And this very well-to-do couple played by Viggo Mortensen and his much younger wife, Kirsten Dunst, he ends up helping them, being kind of a tour guide to them. And then it turns out that he witnesses something about this couple that indicates there's something underhanded going on about them. Here's a clip. Why don't you and I go downstairs, have a drink, see if we can come to an arrangement. Unfortunately, I'm not authorized to negotiate with you. I'm just here for the money. So after witnessing this underhanded thing, Oscar Isaac's character ends up somehow complicit in the situation, and the three of them are all more or less chained together, trying to escape the authorities, trying to live with each other, even though they all resent each other, (laughs) and... Who was it that once said that hell is a room with three people in it? Well, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the paraphrased version of, of Sartre's no exit. Hell mm. is other people. <laughs> well, this is essentially all the drama and conflict you can imagine when you have three people trapped in a room together. They're not in a room the whole time. They're on the road. They're running. They're escaping. Sometimes they're in a confined space. And I really thought the film did a great job of showing the anxiety of, am I going to be found out? the sense of unfairness of, I didn't even actually do anything wrong, but now I'm trapped here. And it's just beautiful to look at. I thought it was very beautifully done. It all takes place in 1962. The costumes, the lighting, all of it just looks great. Patricia Highsmith uh, has a kind of well she always goes back to with these characters. Going all the way back to Strangers on a Train, There's she loves something about... Um, much like Archibald Snatcher, the character I was just talking about in Box Trolls, she loves an arriviste. She loves a, par- a parvenu, a guy who's trying to get to the top, a, a low-born guy mm. who has no class, who wants to be part of the, the upper echelon. She like loves Mr. that Ripley. character. Exactly like Mr. Ripley. I love that character. Yeah. And that, and you'll love Oscar Isaac then, his okay. character. And you already were an Oscar Isaac super fan. You've been Huge. a big fan of his for ages. And he's playing that guy. He comes from money. He comes from privilege. But he's trying to forge his own path. And he's not afraid to skim off the top in situations. And he's not afraid to do some underhanded things. But none of the underhanded stuff he does is nearly as underhanded as Viggo Mortensen. Aha. And what Viggo Mortensen's willing to do and what Oscar Isaac gets stuck with. Oh. So the two phases of January. Good date? It was. It was a really good date. It's not as good as the talented Mr. Ripley, but I'd still recommend it. Good date. Coming up, we're going to talk about the equalizer and whether or not we'd recommend that. We're also going to be administering some movie therapy to a listener who is in need of some help. Stay with us. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date. Now, Rafer, we're going to review The Equalizer in just a moment. But before then, just a reminder to listeners, you can always visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast. And if you're not already a subscriber, 
You should be a subscriber. Yeah. We love having you as a subscriber. Subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. Rayford, let's talk about the equalizer. Let's, Kristen. Okay, so as we said, this is a, I'm going to say kind of a reboot slash origin story, I suppose, of a character named Robert McCall in the 80s television show. He was played by Edward Woodward, a British actor. Here he's played by Denzel Washington. He's a former CIA intelligence guy. He left the game. He left the game. Now he's just working at a big box home improvement store, Home Mart, and he's, uh, you know, hauling cement, cutting wood. Uh, He befriends a young prostitute named Terry, uh, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Terry's pimp uh, roughs her up a little one night, puts her in the hospital. Robert McCall can't stand that. He's going to do something about that. Here's a clip. He's not coming back. Had enough? Because I can keep going. Brick by brick, dollar by dollar, body by body. Or you can call your boss and tell him to shut down his operation tonight. Now, Kristen, <laughs> I'm just a sucker for this kind of stuff. I know. You're such a sucker for this. You Love are. It. You dragged me back into the game, <laughs> and I'm not going to take it. I'm going to equalize things. You know what? I'm not just going to equalize. I'm going to superiorize. That's right. I'm going to greater than your ass. That's what I'm going to do. All right. So uh, now you've got all the makings here, I think, of a terrific action film. I will say one thing about The Equalizer. That show was stupid. I, do, <laughs> I never watched it. I do remember an episode where uh, Robert McCall stabs Adam Ant. So that what? just yeah, that just <laughs> kind of need to watch this show. Just shows you sort of where that where that series head was at. Uh, but he was a great character, much like the Hulk. He was a traveling samurai, always looking over his shoulder in he a way. He cares about justice. Cares about justice, and he wants to help out the little guys. When he sees the little guys getting beat up, he gets angry. He wants to do something about it. And Edward Woodward was actually quite good. He was kind of a Michael Caine alike. He was, you know, steely and intense and as a little kid, I thought he was Michael Caine. Yeah, I I don't blame you, and that's exactly what the networks were hoping. (laughs) Um, But you know, and now here you've got Antoine Fuqua, the director who did Training Day. He's a great action director, at least he can be. And you've got Denzel Washington again. Uh, They were did Training Day together. Denzel Washington. What more do you want? That he's a great action figure. He's a great actor. He's smart. He's sly. He's charismatic. He's charming. He's fun. When he's beating the crap out of someone, you usually believe it. And he's just got a certain something that I love. So I feel like you've got all the makings of a great action film here. There's what a do you big say? butt there, though. Uh, well, I see there's a big butt there, right? All right, well, let, uh, let, me, but let me hear what you had to say about it first. All right. So I agree with you. The components were there. I I was kind of excited by the premise of this is a total remake of a crappy TV show, but not a crappy remake like the A-Team, you know, just <laughs> okay. which was a different kind of crappy remake. Right, but right. It's too long. Yeah. I always say this with movies, though, don't I? Yeah. But this one really is too long. Yes, it is. And it sometimes feels as though one scene of justice is not leading to the next scene is not leading to the next scene. It's not. And so I care about justice here, and that should have been a standalone half-hour episode on ABC. And then (laughs) next week on The Equalizer, and that should have been like another half-hour episode on ABC. And so a lot of it felt like it was an episodic TV series smashed together into one film rather than one story that worked well together. That is exactly right. We start off with the with Denzel Washington helping Terry, the prostitute, who, by the way, just vanishes after about twenty we minutes. We never see her you again. Just never see her again until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his coworker. 
Yeah, though you've got his his coworker, a, a sort of heavyweight guy, a overweight guy who weight. right wants to be a security guard, has to shed pounds, and the equalizer is going to help him. Then we and, have his mom. <laughs> we have <laughs> his coworker's mom, security guard's mom, and wouldn't you know it, she runs a, a Mexican food restaurant, and it, and it, she's being harassed by dirty cops. So now the equalizer <laughs> has to do something about that. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's got to fight the Russian mob because the pimp he killed the pimp. And now the, now the Russian mob has sent uh, Martin Sokas, who's a very good actor, who, who plays a, uh, some sort of former paramilitary Russian guy named Teddy. He's all tatted up, and he's come to America to hunt out the – find out what's going on with all this and hunt down the equalizer. And then it just – it just like you said, it goes on and on and on. What, what am I doing watching the equalizer smack around two dirty cops? Where did these guys come from? You're right. What, what, that was last week. That was last week's episode. What are they doing here? Right? It's so – and it gets so carried away with itself, and also it gets kind of treacly and sentimental and emotional and mm-hmm. corny, and I just couldn't believe how dumb this movie was. It was as dumb as the original series. That's what I kept thinking. You know, if you just, you know, the Stuart Copeland did the the score for the original series. I thought if you'd put oh, really? Stuart Copeland's, you know, drum machine and synth score in there, you would have had the same thing as the dumb old '80s TV show in the first place. This is. It was so bad. It's so bad. I can't. I. I couldn't. The ending of this movie. I. It's. I, we can't really spoil anything. It's so bad. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, I don't gonna say the climax of the movie. The climax. The, the, the giant the, fight scene. The fight scene that goes on for twenty minutes. I mean, that was that was kind of enjoyable. I didn't feel that they pulled out all the stops for that though. They you could felt- have done crazier things during that twenty-minute fight scene. Oh, come should we on. just tell people? Uh, well, I know. I don't think we should. I okay, think that, right. I think that would spoil some things, but if you're talking about um creative ways to kill people, I think yes, I think there they are do more creative ways to kill people. I think they do about what could be done in a in a normal palatable action film. They didn't film. even get to Don't spoil it. No, I'm not going to spoil it, but no, I think they're the equalizer knows how to kill. He could have found other yeah. ways to kill. Here's my here's my can I just say my other big uh complaint about this movie is that the action is in, in generally just preposterous. There's a scene where he kills a guy with a shot glass. And I just remember thinking, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> you re- j- explain to me how you killed that guy by poking him in the eye with a shot glass. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, I'm dead. I'm de- you. I'm actually dead now because of the shot glass. Let's now, try this later. Now I'm going <laughs> to... Off mic. Let's totally yeah, let's try Yeah, you and I later. get all jackass, and I'll take a corkscrew and try to plunge it into your heart. A corkscrew into the heart. My, my son, my six-year-old son, thinks up this kind of stuff, right? And then you put your foot up in the air, and then you flip. And I think, that looks really good. That looks really good to you while you're doing it in your six-year-old eyes, but I don't want a grown adult making a movie out of this and trying to sell me on, you know, the, on the shot glass to the eye. I'm not buying it. I thought this was the stupidest date I have seen in so long. I thought that the Equalizer was not a great date either, but I don't think it was as horrible as you thought it was. Really? It held my attention, but I think it would have been a lot better if it was broken up into a TV miniseries. I, I completely agree, but the Equalizer, dopey, dopey-ass date. <laughs> Shall we move on to some movie therapy, Rafer? Okay, let's. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! So we got this call this week. Hey, Rafer and Kristen. This is Dan Pashman from the Sporkful Food Podcast at WNYC. 
Um, Kristen, you may remember me because you produce the Sporkful podcast. Um, and we sit next to each other every day. So anything? Is that ringing a bell? No. Anyway, so so the Sporkful, I like to say it's not for foodies. It's for eaters. And it's a show that's really for people who love to eat and talk about eating. And I want to ask for your help. Um, a lot of people, they always talk about dinner and a movie. And that's all well and good. But me, I actually prefer a movie and dinner. Because that way, when you go out for dinner, you can talk about the movie. Thing is, after some movies, you might not be so hungry. I would love it if you could recommend for me a few movies that I can watch that will make me really hungry. Movies that will prime my appetite so that when I go out for dinner afterwards, everything I eat will be especially delicious. Thanks, guys. Kristen, oh. that's, a, that's a blatant case of, of self-serving cross-promotion. <laughs> Do you think it's blatant on my part, on Dan Pashman's part? I feel part? like there's some kind of HIPAA rule oh, gosh. that well, prevents us as doctors from getting involved in this kind of thing. Well, I'm, I'm going to still say he needs our help. I do. Yes. I agree. And, and I'm sure a lot of folks out there already know this. I've been working for a while on the Sporkful podcast. In addition to working on Movie Day and working on The Takeaway, I've been hoping to launch that as a WNYC series. I'm almost done with that gig. And as a goodbye present to Dan, to the Sporkful we need to administer this therapy to him. Okay. We're not right. going to deny him his needs right now. All right. We're going to be nutritionists now. Yes. So let's talk about what to watch if you're going to you know, build up that appetite. So I'm going to start with Poltergeist. Good call. Now, now, there's a scene in this movie. You might not remember this, folks, but it's a house being haunted by ghosts, poltergeists. And they make you do weird things. They make you see weird things in addition to going into the bathroom in the middle of the night and peeling off your own face. Yeah, they're always playing pranks. Yeah, just peeling off your own face. Who knows why? There, There is one scene where you're going to go into the kitchen, dig some food out of the fridge. You think you're eating one thing. You look down in your Chinese takeaway package. It's just a bunch of maggots. Uh, I'm hungry oh, already. Oh, maggots. Mm. Yes. All right. So, Dan, that's our first recommendation. All right. That's a good one. I'm going to recommend a movie from uh, kind of around the same era, 1983, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Um, just fast forward to uh, part four, it's called. There's a great, uh, great scene in that film where uh, Terry Jones plays a, a morbidly obese man who waddles into a diner, and he's such a uh, lifelong glutton that he forces John Cleese, the maitre d', to bring him a bucket to w- in which he can vomit consistently. Uh, so he spends most of the skit vomiting into the bucket until eventually he stuffs himself so full of food that he has to have one last little chocolate mint. And John Cleese presents it to him and says, one more wafer-thin mint for Francois. And he puts it in his mouth and he explodes in a giant explosion of food, innards, guts, and intestines. And we actually see the aftermath of his opened-up carcass mm, on screen. So appetizing. That Yum. sounds delicious, Rafer. Let's eat. Great recommendation. All right, one more. Okay. The, it's just going to whet your appetite. You're going to be so hungry after this. 127 hours. Of course. Now, in this movie, James Franco telling the real-life story of an outdoorsman who used to love going hiking by himself on the weekends. One day he's hiking. His arm gets lodged between, in his own words, based in, in the memoir that this movie's based on, he actually says, between a rock and a hard place. Well, what else are you going to call it? And, you know, he's stuck there for 127 hours. He's drinking his own urine. Yep. He's, you know, as you do. As you do. Delicious. Sure. And then before you know it, he's chopping off his own arm. And 
That's a very appetizing scene. That makes me want some pulled pork. Mm, yum. Yum, Kristen. Oh, gosh. We don't actually mean any of this, do we? Okay, Dan. <laughs> okay, no. Dan Cashman. I'm, we, we're just we're, we're pulling your chain. We're yanking your spatula. <laughs> it's so much more fun to recommend not appetizing <laughs> movies than appetizing ones. Because we already know all the major food porn movies. It's They're true. All out there. Everyone knows about Babette's Feast and Chocolat. Tampopo and The Big Night. and Like Water for Chocolate. All of them. All right. of them. They're all out there. But let's recommend a couple that are not as often watched as in the all, other ones. In all seriousness yes. now. Yes. In all seriousness now. I'm going to start with Tortilla Soup from 2001. Tortilla Soup is based on the Ang Lee movie Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is one of the greatest food movies ever made. See it if you have not already seen it. And uh, as with Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Tortilla Soup centers on a chef who is trying to raise three wild daughters. But instead of Taiwan, the movie takes place in Los Angeles. And instead of Chinese food, the food in this movie is Mexican-American. Here is a clip. Uh, please cut the Spanglish. Yeah, I think cut I the... may have met my destiny today. Yeah. I thought you were mad at her. Why don't you mind your own business? When are you going to grow up? When everybody gets off my back. The chef this time is played by Hector Alizondo, who oh, I just yeah. love. Great actor. And then we also have a cast of other Latina actresses that are, are just great. One of my favorites, Elizabeth Pena, is in this movie. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, she's fantastic. The food okay. scenes are great. You're going to be really hungry. You're going to want some delicious, spicy, yummy Mexican food after seeing this. And not just the kinds of Mexican foods you get at a Tex-Mex place or a taco truck. Things that are like delicacies that aren't on your typical menu at every Mexican restaurant. Mm. I highly recommend seeing Tortilla Soup. I'm Mexican-American. Why have I not seen this movie? Go see this movie. Well, now I'm going to have to recommend a, a much more white bread, but uh, equally delicious movie for you. Uh, Waitress, a little gem from two, 2007, uh, directed by Adrian Shelley. And it starred Carrie Russell as a waitress whose specialty is making pies for people. And she makes pies for very special occasions like the Just Got My Heart Broken Pie or the... That's a two-time and no-good man pie. Exactly, exactly. Good one. And uh, it also stars Nathan Fillion as the kind of love interest. I think it's a really lovely film. It's got a real sweet, charming feel to it. It really does. It's really sweet. Here's a clip. Are you okay? Shh. I'm inventing a new pie in my head. Tomorrow's Blue Plate Special. I'm calling it I Don't Want Earl's Baby Pie. I don't think we can write that on the menu board, huh? Then I'll just call it Bad Baby Pie. What's in it, honey? It's a quiche of egg and brie cheese with a smoked ham center. Sounds good, baby. I ain't never going to get away from Earl now. And those pies really do look fantastic. They're gorgeous. You're going to want to, oh. after this movie's done, go out and get six pies and just Big, stuff them all in your face. Thick old flaky crust. The pies are really high. They look fantastic. Yum. Finally, one last movie I want to recommend, and we're not going to play a clip of it because it's in French, Haute Cuisine, which came out in 2013. It's based on the true story of Hortense Labrie. Forgive my bad French. It's based on the story of how she came to run the kitchen for the president of France back in the 1980s. The food scenes are just absolutely sumptuous. Whether or not you like French food, whether or not you're a Francophile, the food is just absolutely beautiful in this movie. I highly recommend Haute Cuisine. There you go, Dan. All right. Before we go, as always, we wrap up our show with some movie trivia. 
Last week, we were talking about dysfunctional families because uh, we just reviewed This Is Where I Leave You with Jane Fonda, Jason Bateman. Uh, Tina Fey. Tina Fey, thank you. Uh, so we were thinking about some other dysfunctional families, and we came up with, I think, a real doozy. Here's a clip we played. Why do they call you Jackie-O? We went to an Ides of March party, and I went as Jackie Onassis in a pink Chanel suit and a pillbox hat and blood on my dress. Blood? Well, ketchup mostly, and other stuff too, like macaroni, kind of glued on like brains. We asked you to name those dysfunctional folks in Isn't that, that family. Isn't that your family, Rayford? <laughs> <laughs> They're not quite that bad. They're not quite that bad. We got this answer. Hey, Rafer and Kristen. This is Andrew from the sunny, sunny Los Angeles, California. With an answer to this week's trivia question, the movie is House of O with Parker Posey. No. Almost. Almost, Andrew. Here's the right answer. Hi, guys. This is Hallie McGee from Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm just answering the trivia question, and that was Parker Posey in House of Yes, one of the most hilarious movies ever. Very iconic scene for me. I will never forget when she opens the door and just laughs her head off. And she's fantastic. Great movie. Thank you. Yes. Great job, Hallie. Great job, Hallie. And Andrew, we don't want to make you feel bad. You're not the only one who said it was the House That's of That's true. You're just not the so only you one. Know, you're not the only one out there who said House of O. Now, for this week's trivia, in honor of the two faces of January, there are a lot of movies out there that have months in the title of the film. We're going to play a clip of one of those movies that has the name of a month in the title of the film. Here's a clip. You're heading straight into that torpedo. Yes. Doing what? Let's turn right into the torpedo's path. More speed. Negative. We're already running 110%. Then give me 115%. Estimate range 3,000 yards, closing awfully fast. If you know the name of that movie, you should visit us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Better yet, give us a call. 5717movies. Oh, the summertime is come And the trees are sweetly blooming